0: Podcast starts.
1: Hello everyone, and welcome, if this is your first time listening to the show, and if you're a returning listener, welcome back. Thanks for sticking with us. Now, this week is going to be a little bit different to what we've been doing for the last few weeks. It's going to be a freewheeling chat with the writer, Gemma Hurley. She was one of the writers behind our favourite film of last year, possibly our favourite thing about 2020, full stop, although it's not a very crowded playing field. The Shudder movie Host, that ingenious Zoom set, seance gone wrong horror made in a few weeks by a small number of very, very talented filmmakers. Now, if you've been listening to this podcast since the beginning, you'll know that we like this movie. And we liked it before it came out. Uh, We previewed it. We've uh, talked to the director, Rob Savage, uh, twice. We've reviewed it. We keep mentioning it. So you might be getting a little bit sick of it. Although I say this. If you are getting a bit sick of it. That can only be because you actually haven't seen the film yet. So what are you waiting for? It's out on Blu-ray now. So you don't even have to be a member of Shudder to watch it, you can also hire it on streaming from places like Amazon, so go to it. Having said that, this chat with the writer Gemma Hurley is not going to give away any spoilers for the movie, so if you still haven't seen it, you can still listen to this. We're going to talk to Gemma about her general interest as a writer, her experience in the industry, her experience in 2020, and a range of other things and hopefully you'll find it really interesting. Obviously I'm on my own right now, but I'm gonna be joined for the chat by Kirsty from Shropshire, Ian from Cheshire, and Stella from Manchester, and it's a lot of fun. Um, I will warn you, it was recorded over Zoom, so there's the usual quality issues there. It's been an exciting week for us. Not only did we have the honor and the thrill of talking to Gemma, but we also spent a couple of hours in the Zoom conveyed company of the writer Stephen Volk, the esteemed creator of Ghost Watch, that gem of 1990s British TV horror, so beloved of all the hosts on this podcast and so crucial to our formative experiences of being terrified by what's on the screen we talked to him about ghost watch of course we also talked to him about his many other works and about his new book you'll be hearing that interview in a few weeks time and the reason i bring it up now is because it does get mentioned in our chat with jammer um, because we did both interviews on the same night so just to give you some context there uh, that interview with Stephen should be well worth listening to as well and later on in this episode we're going to have another installment of the bag of death our weekly phone call in which i'm joined by our co-host over the phone from shropshire howard whitock to discuss an unknown movie out of the annals of all the english language horror films that both he and i have uh, have seen and that's always a fun a little bit and following that i'll be back at the end very briefly In the meantime, though, enjoy the chat with Gemma, and before we go straight to that, let's hear the trailer of Host again. Obviously, if you're a long-time listener of the podcast, you'll have heard this trailer before, but it doesn't give away too much, and I want to give you a little flavour of what the movie is like. Enjoy the interview.
2: Have you ever done anything like this before?
3: I've never done this over Zoom. Obviously,
2: we're not physically together, but there's no reason why Spirit can't communicate
4: over the internet. Nothing's going to happen. Visualize us sitting in a circle.
5: Spirit, we invite you to use us to pass on any communication. Is there anyone there? Please come forth.
2: What was that? Amy, was
6: that you? I heard
2: it. No, I heard, heard something.
5: something. I think there's something here. Do you see that? <laughs> oh, Emma, <no>. that <laughs> funny. Hey. There's something. You know, we've connected with
7: something. We gotta keep going. We gotta talk to it. <laughs> see?
4: <it's hard. laughs> Not to disrespect the spirits, there could be
7: something retarded. Haley, this is all your fault. Not my fault. This is your (laughs) fault. Haley! Emma, turn the filters off. Come on.
1: So here we are, we're about to be joined by the co-writer of possibly the most frightening film of last year. In fact, certainly the most frightening film of last year, possibly the most frightening film of the decade. Depends how you count your years, of course, but if 2020 was the end of the decade, that's <laughs> that's, that's ten, ten years. Um, and certainly a film that has traumatised all four of us. Um, in the most pleasant way possible. We are so honoured to be joined by Gemma Hurley. Gemma, thank you so much for being on. on, And now the podcast starts. Welcome.
2: Oh, thank you so much for having me. This is such a thrill. Like, I'm looking forward to diving into it all with you.
1: (laughs) And we're looking forward to it very much, too. We all love Host and have seen it multiple times and have discussed it and have recommended it to people. Um, But can you tell us a little about your writing before Host? What's kind of brought you to this point creatively?
2: Oh, gosh. Um, Well, so the first thing I should probably mention is um, I am a TV writer. You know, Host was my first film. And to be honest, Host is my first credit that's on the screen. Um, So I mainly work in British TV and in the kind of genre world that is desperately trying to emerge. We're not really a, a country that does genre, but it feels like maybe we're slightly on the brink of changing that with esports coming in and like different platforms and co-pros with America. So hopefully it's a new era coming. Um, yeah. So I'm doing, you know, I'm doing a, a show with Amazon at the moment. I'm doing a show with sky. I've done something with uh, like a BBC, Netflix uh, co-pro and um, the host. I mean, it, I don't know if you were, if Rob's already spoken about this and the story of how host came about, but I kind of came on. Um, he sent me a message last April. Um, you know, i would met him once before, like we had coffee, um, in that those times where people used to do that. Uh, (laughs) Um, and we were, I was recommended to him by like a exec that we both know. Um, he was looking for a writer on another project and that didn't work out. Um, and then you just think that's kind of the end of it. You know, you have a billion of these kind of meetings, you're like, Oh, lovely, cool. Um, uh, yeah. And then I saw, uh that um you must have seen have you seen yeah. that prank video yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so I mean whoever hasn't seen it it's um Rob and Jed did this like prank video on their friends over zoom and it has like a scary kid jumping out the attic um, and I was like oh damn those guys they're doing something really like creative and constructive in lockdown and I'm just like <laughs> eating my face and banana bread it was like that month <laughs> you know um and then pardon me I got um yeah I just got an email from him he's like hey do you want to like help write this into like something bigger I was like yeah that sounds really fun I'm not doing anything else right now (laughs) Um, that was it really and we had such low expectations like we knew it was going on Shudder and maybe some people on Shudder would watch it and maybe some people would like it and because the horror community is so welcoming anyway we're like oh we'll probably just get a free pass um And it just kind of turned into something that none of us, none of us ever could have in our wildest dreams um, hoped for. So we're all just having a blast in mm-hmm. this, apart from the pandemic. Yeah,
4: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Can I ask you what, what, what's been like the most kind of gratifying kind of result of Host for you?
2: Oh, gosh, I don't know how to answer that question. I think, um, I think, I'm um, gratifying thing about the host it has been the reception um in terms of how i think people have said they've connected with it because you know we didn't want to do a we didn't want to do a pandemic film uh, that was like quite important to us because you know, at that moment at least like i didn't want to think about that i didn't want to see anything claustrophobic mm-hmm. and maybe for worse i wanted to see something that felt cathartic and represented my life on the screen um, because you know we, we were all you know at least me and my friends we were all like on those Zoom calls um, and it was really just a chance to just see that reflected and I think some people people have um, responded to that and can see themselves in the films and, and it's given them some kind of joy um, in this really weird time and I think mm-hmm. maybe that's why it has resonated the way it has. Um, yeah just feeling like you're just part of part of this thing that's bigger than yourself Mm -hmm. you know rather than doing this quite like self-involved project like in a corner and it was just so the whole process from start to finish was so quick like being like 10 weeks you really just felt like you were suddenly part of a moment Mm -hmm. and the moment became bigger than you Um, and it was just it was yeah it was weird and um, just such a joy to be part of Brilliant,
4: thank you. Um, Can I ask as well about your sort of kind of involvement as 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 writer, about how that kind of tracks through the production process, whether or not you contributed to, you know, kind of wrote drafts of scripts and then it was sort of passed, you know, kind of on to Rob and Jed, or whether or not you were kind of involved on a sort of kind of day-to-day basis on that, you know, kind of crazy logistical shoot.
2: Oh my God, that sounded like a nightmare, what Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad. Actually, no, I... So I was only really involved for that those first two weeks, um and then it was like handed over. We really wanted to catch that moment, and we thought naively that the pandemic would be over very quickly. Yeah. <laughs> we wanted to get the film out as soon as possible while it was still relevant mm. um so yeah i was it was it was literally two weeks um during that time um the way it worked was we had a sort of um to get i don't want to get too technical about it, but we you know we had a shared Google doc, and we were like you know. Uh, we'd have all the zoom calls and like move things around and what about this what about this then I would go away and take that and work it up into something a bit more like formed and try and make sure we were tracking like the the character journeys and the relationship and making sure that this was about more than just more than just like about a ghost more than just about the pandemic but also sort of really about a female friendship where there is you know something at the core of it which is you know attention or something gone a little bit wrong that this this spirit has that that's really what's allowed the spirit to haunt them all is whatever's yeah. going on between Gemma and Haley. and for me that was um really core cool to what this film was 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 going to be about really and um and then it was just making sure we really the other thing was just making sure we got that tone right like what we want people to feel when they came away from watching this, um, because as I've already said, I didn't want to feel claustrophobic at that moment in time. I wanted to f- feel like, um, you know, that I'd had some kind of release. So it was, we were watching a lot of reference materials and like really making sure that um, that was kind of reflected in what the film was. And it, it was quite loose. We had like, um you know, we ended up with like a 17 page scriptment, for lack of a better word. And then it was just robbed went off with the wonderful actors who are like, so good at improvisation Mm. um, to, like, write the witty banter, Mm. (laughs) basically.
1: Wow, brilliant. Um, So, Gemma, um, was this your first time writing horror as such? Or had you wanted to write scary stuff before?
2: No, so I'm a kind of genre writer by trade, but um, the reason me and rob even started speaking in the first place is because he read um one of my horror scripts it was um a feature film it got me like in the top 10 females at the nicole fellowship i don't know if that means anybody anything to anyone um in america and uh, um it was you know funny kids um basically lots of kid child death um uh, in kind of like lord of the flies way and i guess he he there was a moment in that that he really made him shiver Um, and I suppose he was like oh I want to work with this person at some point (laughs) but yeah no um, like horror not just horror I guess more I'm more of a kind of genre generally um, kind of writer but it's I guess historically it's not a genre that many female writers have been in Mm -hmm. Um, so it's difficult working I mean just generally doing any. where you're not represented is a weird thing anyway because you think that what success is I have to look like that person or act like that person to to be able to be successful because that's the only like what success looks like um so but yeah sorry that was really rambling
1: (laughs) no that was great um Kirsty, were you going to come in with something yeah, no, else? Then?
4: I was just going to um, ask, because again, you know, kind of following you on, on, on Twitter, um, sort of seeing your response to, um, you know, to um, to host and the, to, the, to the success and, you know, and that kind of being in that community. Um, I, I just, you know, I know that recently you were asking about kind of other female writers in, in the genre, um, and I just wonder about what you feel like you've learned from the few, you know, the few female writers and um, kind of horror makers that are out there.
2: Well, this is the thing. So I wrote, I did this quite a kind of self selfish post, really, because um, I was just like, I just want to know who's cool to follow. Like, mm. who are the who are the female writers out there, especially in, in Britain? Yeah, Um, because I just come off the back of them. Um, Interesting. I just come back off the back of the meeting where they told me that they don't really s- they don't, there aren't really many female genre writers in UK TV. And I am like, that can't be right. Mm. That, that can't mm. be right. But it's not, a, it's the a thing I've heard quite a few times. Um, so I was like, well, who are they? And hello. Um, you know? Um, so I did this post saying like, who are your favorites? And, you know, you know, whatever. And it was just an amazing response. I thought like five people would answer and it was like hundreds of people were like this person, this person, this person. It was, it was awesome. And it just shows that it's it's not to do with whether they're out there or not, it's whether they're visible or not. Mm, Yeah. And to be honest, I think that's a general thing with diversity, Uh, not just about women, about like people who aren't white, I guess. Um, Like I've been in so many different situations where I think um, there's this real laziness, um, you know, where it's just like, oh, we'll just like get the first writers who come through. It's like, no, you like, you know if you want new voices new fresh voices you've really got to like look you know up, like open your doors and like ask for them and you don't you know really like elevate the awesome writers who like, are definitely out there but just aren't getting the opportunity um, mm-hmm. because you're being lazy essentially mm-hmm. um, so I think I was being lazy before and thinking there weren't any like other like female writers out there and like, boy was I wrong mm-hmm. I guess
1: that's great to know yeah um, so, um, yeah, I mean that, that that kind of highlights my my own ignorance, really. Um, like you say, I, I if you'd have asked me um, how many genre writers uh, in British TV are female, I probably could count them on the fingers of one hand. But yeah, they're, they're the ones who've been allowed through, um, and who've been given those opportunities. Um, so basically, the message is. Everybody get following Gemma on Twitter and follow the people that she follows. Well,
2: you can just see my ignorance or my ignorant tweets going like blah, 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 blah. blah. So join in with
8: that. Talking of Twitter, there's this amazing place, Gemma. Because um, it is, we were just talking to Stephen Volk and Vulcan. me chatting to him came about because of him asking on Twitter about a Writers Guild thing with Russell T Davis when Russell T Davis dropped his name in. And I'd just been watching it. And so I was able to say, oh yeah, and he said he loves Ghost Watch, don't worry. S- Stephen seemed unusually paranoid he'd mentioned it. <laughs> <directly>. Um <laughs> I don't know why, just everyone loves it. Um yeah. but uh, but I just sort of saw A, I've been following all your I've been following all your um sort of rewatch, or not rewatches, your watching movies. Um and it's kind of made me want to rewatch Black Christmas, for instance. I think I rewatched because oh, he mentioned it. But I also saw when you were talking, you, you, were, you were asking for advice on Twitter about how would you set out a script set in Zoom. <laughs> um, and I remember saying, if you don't know...
2: In, in script format.
8: Yeah, yeah. If you don't know, then who does? <laughs> <laughs> And I think your answer was you'd be surprised.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it was this really freaky moment where we had to, like, write it into a script format for submitting it to festivals, and it was like, oh, God, we need this, we need this now, I was like, I don't know how to... How, how do you write a, a, I guess, for lack of a better term, screen life film mm. in yeah. scripts? And I was looking at some references, like Searching was one that people mm-hmm. uh, referenced a lot, and I read that and it wasn't right for Host because um, it was it was more for me, the, the searching, no shade to searching, but the, um, the, the script was more like a shooting script to me. Like it had so much like detail in what you see on the screen and how things are done. And mm-hmm. with Host, it was just like, oh, I see. I'll just make a note. This is done in Zoom and then just treat it like it's a story uh, and don't get like distracted by like any of the camp, like, you know, we're close on, Hayley's screen, or you know, any of that stuff, because it's not—that's not what a script is, in my opinion. At least that's not what a screenplay is for. A screenplay is to like tell a story, tell a tone. Mm. Um so, yeah, I just like ignored it. Basically, <laughs> that's the answer. <laughs> just ignore it.
8: It's, it's weird because I, I think I sent you a link to my little film. You—you um, you made a feature film which changed horror forever, and I wrote this little—I wrote this little tiny thing set on Zoom. But for me, it was really weird because. I'd never heard of Zoom and suddenly I'm making a film in it. And I realized when we went back to the script, I'd been writing it, imagining what I thought Zoom was, because I hadn't really, (laughs) really looked at Zoom. And so for me, it was just within two weeks, my script had become out of date. (laughs) I didn't know what a waiting room was. I didn't, I just wrote it in my head. I guess it was kind of Skype.
2: Skype, yeah. And
8: then straight away, I was like, oh God, this bits of this need to change even with two weeks of the lockdown was so strange at the beginning and you were doing that, but with a feature film. So that kind of makes my head spin even. More. <laughs> I mean, did you, am I just very old and I, yes. has everyone else been using Zoom for ages? No, no, I, I, I hadn't heard of Zoom. If like, No, I don't, me
2: neither. I don't I've done Skype, on. that was it. Yeah. yeah. But if, if knew, um, we were using Zoom to write. A film set on Zoom. It was this really weird circular thing. Um, yeah. Helpful. And I think rob and Jed had like gone through like all the lists of stuff that Zoom could do and like think so, as a way to creatively think of ways to kill people, mm-hmm. uh, uh-huh. and have scares and stuff. so no. Yeah. yeah. Ca- I mean,
4: Caroline's. Oh, that's still. <laughs> oh, it's brilliant. It's oh, absolutely... it's amazing. <laughs> Just. <that moment>. Oh. <laughs> Just yeah, that will stay with me for a very
7: long time. I feel.
2: <laughs> yeah. It
7: was so spooky. I think that bit
2: wasn't it. I think that was one of the original things they wanted um, because we did some development stuff with the cast. Like you know, we did a. I don't know if Rob's already told you about this, but we did like a real uh, seance with the cast with a real medium and all that. Um, And really, for me, that was just like seeing like what the group's natural dynamic was and (laughs) in the in the worst possible way how to exploit that. But yeah, like they definitely had all of those. Like that, that was definitely one of the the Caroline thing was right from the beginning. It was like this creepy thing. Mm. To see in. Mm.
5: Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah, it's a <laughs> it's a brilliant use of the the kind of the zoom as a medium um, yeah. and like i forgot i forgot to mention this to Stephen volk but um hopefully um he'll listen to this and hear me say it now mm-hmm. uh, you know Ghost Watch was an example which i think you kind of have to do in the ghost story of of writing uh completely within the medium or, or rather using the medium to its fullest limits um i think ghost stories have done that since they you know they were just short stories uh, you know using devices like uh, people saying uh, this is a true story, but it happened to a friend of a friend. You know, <laughs> Ghostwatch changed that into this is a live TV broadcast, and then and then pushed the genre further by doing that. And then I think Host has done that again by by using Zoom in such a, a full way to really exploit the extent of the medium and in ten, fifteen years when there's some other way that's been invented that we talk to each other i hope somebody will it will do a great ghost story on that too i think mm-hmm. really every medium deserves its ghost story and host is the ghost story of the moment for zoom and, and that's why i love it essentially apart from the fact that it just terrifies me <laughs> yeah.
7: yeah it's got such good so like cultural resonance because of when it when it was made when it landed we were I mean I was certainly and you know running into zoom fatigue when I eventually got around to watching it and then it was just such a a lovely i've like all said it used all the features and it was scary and it was a good horror film and it had a great story and all those things were there on this thing that at that time I was going oh god no more zoom no more family quizzes oh I can't do it and then I watched it <laughs> I watched host and it was like
8: yeah
2: it is is called zoom in japan though is it yeah
5: Yeah. i
8: don't know if that's the scariest title i've ever heard of those uh (laughs) those uh covers though i mean you must be getting some of those made into posters to have on your wall the japanese covers
2: i I want the posters i want the merchandise i'm waiting for it (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah.
1: wow Um. yeah
2: well yeah to your point about Ghostwatch I mean like I, I knew about Ghostwatch but I hadn't seen it until we were developing hosts, which I feel like is another sin of mine um, but yeah I think the thing about Ghostwatch which probably can't be replicated in the way in the same way with like War of the Worlds back in the day was like people did believe that was real right I mean I wasn't there for it. I didn't see it happen live but my understanding is didn't like you know people really think that Mr Pipes was in their living rooms. Yeah I did
7: yeah. Yeah. Totally sold.
2: But, but yeah, yeah. A host, host doesn't. I mean, I, I suppose. I mean, you guys can tell me there is an element where because it's on your laptop and it is this thing as you're saying that you're so fatigued. You're, you know, people say that when that pop up thing comes up, they like instant. Yeah, I was trying to close it.
5: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm trying but to
2: move the mouse, it's just like no. there is an element where it feels like I think it it comes into your home, you know, yeah. Yeah, part of the call you could be next to some extent with that suspension of disbelief. But um yeah, yeah, I don't know. I, like, I S- think
1: S- it makes you feel very vulnerable when you're sitting yeah. there with just your laptop. I've watched it in the dark, you know, and, oh, and Dan, the... you know shouldn't you? <laughs> 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 but you know, you can just see it over the laptop screen and uh and my imagination makes things loom out of the darkness. Um <laughs> yeah it, uh, it it feels real um yeah
7: it, i watched it in the day because i would i think you guys have talked about it and i watched it in the day because i was just like no nah, fuck that i can't watch this in
5: the day.
2: i can't cope with that <laughs> i think i think that's the, the authenticity of it is a testament to um rob actually um because there was some moments like i you know i'm, I'm a genre writer it's so like one of my 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 photos i like to like write and really like dramatic writing and da, 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 da. and there was a there was a whole confrontation between Gemma and Haley, which was in the original description which never made it to you know the screen for the better because Rob Rob is right you know we in times of crisis are you really going to stop and have like an argument with your friend and mm. there's like a you know a, a zombie a, sorry a ghost attacking you or whatever like it's really it was just trying to like lean into where is the real moment here mm. and like mm. keep the dialogue and the you know everything as as realistic as possible and definitely to its um you know to its to the betterment
1: yeah no, no actually that's a point that i, I kind of thought when i was re-watching the film is uh, i want to know more about the subtext between Haley and Gemma Mm
5: -hmm.
1: but and I kind of thought you know if this was a normal movie with a narrative structure you'd find out more about them at some later point but the 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 fact that you're sticking to this kind of real time real life moment it affords no opportunity for that so instead it's just a grace note it's it's a really nice Mm. you can as you can with real people you can tell when something's going on even if you don't know what it is
8: yeah. yeah. Well, I, I just had to say it's I've, one thing I really like about it is it's it's it, it works as a all oh, this feels like it's happening really, but it is amazingly well structured. All those things do happen, you know. It's it's got everything going on at once, yeah. and it works perfectly. And the the sign of it is that you don't notice it unless, like me, you're analysing it. Mm-hmm. But actually, you do know whose story it is first, and you do. You do, all, that, all that subtext totally is there, mm-hmm. um, brilliantly done, mm-hmm. um, which, is, which, is, uh, which is what I think lifts it up above. I was about to say just genre, and we're all, we all love horror, mm-hmm. and I should never say something like that. But you know what I mean? It's not, it's not as, it's, it's, it's not just a throwaway scary movie. It works like all the best of them do, as an actual piece of drama. Just, just no matter what the genre is. It works brilliantly. Um,
2: the the thing I find really interesting there is that I felt like we broke so many rules that I'd had um, in my head about what a, a film should be. Like, you know, you, you mentioned the movie moment that we've already um, gotten rid of, like uh, how often we show the monster, like the, the, the balance, the structural balance of the film is really off whack. You know that you've got that like huge, like it's almost half the film that first act of with the mm. seance and stuff like that. And then the third act, where they you know, German like puts on her mask and goes out, that's the third act, but it's so small, it's like mm. seven minutes long. It's like, mm. but, but it's so, I think it just shows like a lot of that, like screenwriting advice can just be like, well, it's just what does the movie need to be, you know? Yeah, I
8: mean? yeah, 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 yeah. You know? No, I mean, I, I, yeah, I lecture in screenwriting and it's, and it's, I don't know, life. I hate even saying the word save the cat, and I seem to mention it every podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Save Save the cat is one of those things that's guilty of really wrong footing new writers because they get obsessed with what page it should go on. Mm. And first thing I say is, there's good stuff in this book. They're good little tent posts, but they don't have, I don't Um, know why it has to make it like a religion that it has to happen on page five and page 12. And and you're right. But the fact is, I bet you all, all the things have to happen. And it's up to the, it's up to you and the story exactly where they happen, mm. but they all generally happen in a story, don't they? Um, and I think host is just how much of the dialogue was written and how much was, how much was improvised.
2: I'll just say I don't want to take any credit for any of the dialogue. All of those actresses and Teddy, um, they're just so witty and mm. charming, and they had that banter. They had you know, some like my, my favourite lines. Like, make me laugh, and it surprised me watching it because I was like, I didn't write that, it's funny or scary. I can, you know, be along with this as an audience mm-hmm. member. Um, but yeah, really, what our job was, um, to provide a platform, a structure, a framework f- for them to do their best job around that, I guess.
8: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yes yeah. and that's uh, and and, you, and, and it's an amazing, like I was just saying, it's an amazing job as well because it's as a as a, I mean, how how much did you? So you you had structure, and how much did you? How much did they sort of? Did Did they ever deviate from it, or did it ever get changed because of what was happening while they were improvising, or?
2: You know, it's really interesting because I had to ask myself that question because I'd forgotten. Um, you know, because it was something we did. It was literally two weeks of my life, which is so. You compare it to everything else, which takes years of development, um, mm. and then it came out. And you're like, ha, 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 Um, So I I did actually laugh through most of hosts because I found it really funny. Um, (laughs) So I obviously knew when all this stuff was going to happen. But um, I I went back to the scriptment we originally done and it's actually quite, um, it's really similar. It's really similar. And everything that's slight is different. I totally get why that happened. And it was mainly just um, taking things out we didn't need. Like there was this Pardon me. There was like a lot more about the backstory, leading like before the séance started, and the séance was much longer as well. And it was just like you don't need all that. And maybe that was filmed, and it just didn't. It just got cut on the editing floor. I haven't asked. Um, I haven't asked Brenner, the amazing editor, like specifically. Um, but really, that that was the only thing that happened. Just some things just weren't necessary, or like someone improvised this amazing line, which was better than the kind of temporary kind of idea we had for them to say.
8: Mm-hmm. Were you were you um, were you in on the shoot? Because I know I know from the the way having made a film on Zoom that you can have lots. You know, we had people in the who you don't you don't tick their box, so they don't get recorded. Um, so they can be you can be in and on the screen, and then you're not, but you're not in the film. So you you do actually have the behind the scenes continuity people and stuff who are on a little Zoom. And the, and the writers and people so so were you in so were you there when they were filming it or did you
2: no I think and I think that was um intentional it's the same with the next film that we've um we've worked on I think the idea is to keep us as objective as possible so that when we like actually see the draft we you know we can see it as like a viewer rather than like oh I know why this decision was made or does it right, again. Yeah. um I and mean, you know the writer this is a thing a contentious thing generally about whether a writer should be on set or not generally like I, I I love to be on set, but in obviously in the pandemic, yeah. this is not a thing that is useful to anybody whatsoever. Um, and as as they were improvising their their work as well, it felt like you know, you want to keep that as fresh and authentic as possible coming from them rather than from us. We'd kind of already done our job in some ways. Yeah, yeah. I bought myself a Blu-ray of hosts and I realized I don't have a Blu-ray player, so I don't know what I'm gonna do. <laughs> I'm
5: so excited. <laughs>
3: Oh dear.
8: Surely somebody will send you a Blu ray player.
2: Um, I should put it on Twitter. I'm not putting my address on Twitter. But... Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it.
8: No, don't I,
1: do that. I had the same problem last year, Gemma. There are cheap ones. <laughs> I bought a Blu ray player just so I could watch one, one Blu ray, which is still the only Blu ray I own. Anyway. Have you watched
7: it yet, though? I think uh, yes yes yeah. no, I did watch
1: it yes <laughs> so, that <laughs> was the one in black yeah no.
4: surely it's a bit it's a bit cooler though if you just don't watch it as a you know it's like yeah <laughs> <You don't laughs> I never watched it. it I just
8: have it
5: it's the haunted <laughs> blu ray yeah
8: yeah <laughs> what 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 would you get from the blu ray i i've only seen one film on blu ray and it made it was which was aliens at a friend's house and i love aliens and it made a film i love look like well, oh, that bit looks like an old 1960s Thunderbirds. <laughs> <laughs> be- because uh, because it was so unforgiving on this yeah, yeah. yeah. French big TV a bit that I'd always loved looked like models. Yeah. So,
5: oh, I don't idea.
8: know. I don't entirely know if Blu-ray is right for some films.
5: I
4: think it's, it's 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 the combination of the Blu-ray and the television as well, though. You know, yeah,
8: yeah. A a big TV. yeah, yeah. Yeah, oh, my mate, kind of mate loves his tech and a... <laughs> I'll, I'll
2: give Absolutely. a little plug. Uh, I'll get a little, sorry. I'll give a little plug with the host uh, Blu-ray slash DVD. There are lots of extra features where you can see a, a, a half an hour behind the scenes. Excellent! Videos. Oh, great! Right.
5: Yes, oh, that's good. Yay, I I look forward that. to that.
1: Are, are the extra that. features on the DVD as well as the Blu-ray?
2: <laughs> I I'll just don't know. Be...
5: Really <laughs> I'm
2: so bad at this. Maybe
5: Okay. <laughs> Just Yes. <laughs>
2: yeah,
4: Gemma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Can I can I come back to the the, the whole Twitter? You know, watching or filling yeah, gaps in your kind of um, horror uh, yeah. watching. So I'm I'm getting interested about which films that you kind of you particularly enjoyed or found surprising in in any way, and then which which films you maybe weren't as impressed by. Oh, so, gosh. for the
1: benefit of the listener, because yeah. we, we weren't recording earlier when we started oh, yeah, talking sorry. about this, um, <laughs> oh yeah, so so Gemma has, has just been discovering some some key horror movies for the first time on, on Twitter, and and uh, yeah, we're really interested in uh, your reactions, Gemma.
5: Gosh, yeah.
2: So, um, what? Have, so, I'm just really trying to remember what I've I've seen now. So, I've seen um, Halloween, Black Christmas, Evil Dead One, Evil Dead Two, The Fog raw um or oh, i saw psycho for the first time um i'm what else what else there's there's so many others and i can't remember them off the back of my top of my head but like this is my where i'm at currently um, i think
1: you mentioned to us that you didn't enjoy the body horror so much so i've got to ask did you watch <laughs> david cronenberg's the fly
2: yes i did watch David yeah. Cronenberg's yeah the fly.
1: yeah that'll do it <laughs>
2: um, <laughs> I, I actually, I, I actually enjoyed that film, even though it made me want to be sick. Because um, <laughs> I, I, I love it. It was fun. It's gross it was a fun film.
1: So. Uh, okay, I think you're the first person on the planet who's ever described it as fun. It is funny, I, uh, and I think Kim Newman and Mark Como did this riff on their show where they said it's basically a romantic comedy until it isn't.
8: Yeah. And <laughs> And that kind of works. It's just the it's just a tall guy, but he turns into a fly. <laughs> <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, uh, it's, it's the thing of watching all these old films because it's not just about horror; it's also an insight into like what the norms were in the day. Like mm. especially between, because mm. let's be honest, like hor- horror does this isn't just a horror problem, but like you know we have the uh, representation of uh, women in horror is quite an interesting thing, you know you know the slasher horror you know you, you if you're the slut you get stabbed if you're the virgin you survive if you're you know yada yada, yada. um but I really like the fly um because she was you know she had so much agency um but then it just it, it felt like it was all just like for me it was like this metaphor for like toxic relationships like, <laughs> you know it's like this is great um so I really enjoyed that I think um even though it made me feel sick, I, I like that. Psycho. Mm-hmm. Even though I thought I knew what that movie was, I was mm-hmm. still really surprised and blown away, and just was like really enjoyed it. Um, it. again, it felt like it broke so many rules that film, like the nah. rules that I had in my head. Yeah. Um, Evil Dead's an interesting one um, because I'd heard so much about it, and i i wasn't I wasn't so much into the first one. Um, but I, lo- I really, I just enjoyed the second one. Like, that whole ending, I don't want to...
1: It takes flight when they let loose with the comedy, I think. Yeah. I, th- I think the first movie, if... It's more fascinating if you know the behind-the-scenes story, and if you've read Bruce Campbell's book about how it was made, and these people suffering in a freezing cold cabin with no money and, and, and no real food and all that kind of thing. That's the real achievement, and it's an inspiring story for horror filmmakers who think I could do that. Whereas Evil Dead Two, they actually had money and they actually had time, <laughs> and, and they decided to use it for comedy. And yeah. there's some, you know, and they they really took flight with that. And uh, yeah, that. I actually enjoy all, all of the Evil Dead's, but I, but probably the first one the least. Mm. Um,
2: if I'd mm-hmm. been in the cinema and saw the the ending of the second film, I think I would have stood up and applauded. I was just like, you just jumped the shark so much! <laughs> <laughs> this is amazing. It was just like so, like I felt like I was being trolled, but like in a really like uh, a joyful like way. So.
8: Can okay. I just I need to make a confession I've never seen Evil Dead
2: 2. <gasps> oh.
8: oh.
1: Oh
4: man. Actually, Actually, I don't know that why. Week.
8: That might be that might be a a future a mis- episode That's then. a miss
4: classic. Yeah. It surely is. Uh, I, I,
8: I kind of yeah. feel like I've been in a room when it's been on and loads of friends just growing up in the 90s loads <laughs> of friends just smoking weed and watching horror- zombie movies and and talking about is it the one with the dynamite and bang bang and boom boom or whatever it's called? And... uh
1: boom it's stick. the one where he, he has the he, boom, he, boom. he ties the shotgun onto his hand. Oh no the, not the shotgun. Yeah, the, the the chainsaw. Yeah. The groovy hey. moment. Yeah.
8: Yeah, <laughs> boomsticks. Is that what, what they're
1: called? Well he uses the word oh dear, I, I'm revealing myself as an evil dead nerd. Oh no, I already <laughs> did. Um he uses the word boom sticks in the We're third shots. one. He uses the word boomstick in the third one. I don't uh, think they say it in the second one. But when I was a, a student, both Evil Dead Two and Army of Darkness were, were beer and Friday night drinks in the student house kind of movies. Yeah, so yeah.
8: Yeah, I remember I'm going to watch them house. at some point. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. We're gonna do Evil Dead Two then. <laughs> All right, uh, I it down.
7: That's yeah. a conclusion. I can tell by my toe and I'm not excited by this. I yeah. think oh dear! Yes, a, a, Stella's uh,
1: not a fan, as we've discovered.
7: Not an evil dead
8: No. No. And um, Black Black Christmas, I remember you being really impressed with. Oh, that's that's so a, I've not seen that in ages, but I remember it's a good one, isn't it?
5: Mm-hmm.
2: I think I'm more of a. I think naturally I'm more of a. I'm more into my ghosts, my supernatural, the thing you can't see. Mm. Is always the thing that I've been drawn to in horror films. Like one of the the, the first horror film I saw um is probably not a surprise to many people um that really got me into it's the Blair Witch Project. Yeah, like, that right. That's that's like what I what I love about the genre, and I think the opposite of that is body horror, I guess. so. Mm-hmm. everything. So I'm I'm trying to just like you know, expand my palette.
5: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and it, yeah, it's several different genres, really. Um as you know, <laughs> as we're enjoying exploring so um on that note Gemma, what apart from Blair Witch? although we all love that completely and and i think stella and um and kirsty and i all cited it as one of our absolute most frightening films when we had a discussion about that a while back um uh you know what what else were the things that made you gravitate towards the genre as a writer and want to to work within it you know uh, you're obviously discovering new things now but what were your favorites before
2: I mean, that's a really good question, because I never really saw myself as a horror writer. Um, when I was younger, I think I was more into just genre, like, you know, sci-fi and fantasy and, you know, anything that was just larger than life.
5: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and I think I really started to get into it with this sort of, I guess, this sort of new wave of um, no, that's to tell a lie. Um, I was going to say the new wave of like horrors that have been coming out over the past few years, like um, you know, Get Out and It Follows and all that stuff. But really, before that, like I, I was really into um, sort of folk horror, um, like Wicker Man and all that stuff. That was really just where awesome. I, yeah, it was. Oh like, no, you said yeah. Wicker Man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. oh no, it is my
1: favourite film. But <laughs> you, you yeah, talked yeah. him.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no no, no. It's just that kind of that um something about folk horror um and something about um the thing at the end of your bed you can't see I think I mean on a personal level that that's where my sort of fear comes from it's always you know it's, it's very primitive it's a very childhood thing but it was just you know being afraid of the thing in my room you know that I believed was there every night and it, it's that kind of like maybe horror is a way of um sort of processing that like writing that and addressing that and um I think that's what it can can give me and maybe that's why I'm not really so drawn to like body horror because I haven't experienced those things um but uh yeah like folk folk horror is such a wonderful thing I'd love to do more British folk horror um did you know,
4: if yeah. there any, <laughs> yeah. Any- it's yeah. funny because you I just, you know, was just in preparation for this meeting, was just on Twitter. I was like, Oh, Jeff has asked about folk.
2: I'm totally, <laughs> I'm totally
5: too much. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> <laughs>
4: you know, you're asking about um, kind of folklore and stuff, mm. um, and kind of British folklore. Um, because we did a, an episode of the um, um, well, it's a couple of episodes, two episodes, um, yeah. Mm-hmm. That were kind of a bit about kind of witchcraft and kind of paganism um, in in horror, um, and yeah. So I've just been kind of sat here whilst we're waiting for you, thinking about what, what else do I know? Do you know about John Barleycorn? No. No. Okay, I'll send you. I'll send you some stuff now. I'll send you some stuff about that. Um, yeah. John Barleycorn and, uh, must die. Made, yes. <laughs> it's
3: d- d- John Barleycorn.
8: Yeah. It's, a, it's an old folk song, but didn't yes. Paul Weller but- do a version of it?
4: He he. Well, yeah, as part of the imagined village. Um, yeah. yeah. Oh wow. Um, okay. But yeah, and no, um, yeah. So it's but it's a whole kind of pagan kind of yeah folklore story. Oh, I've and... got that album. Of
1: course, I have.
8: <laughs> <laughs> um, on, a format, so, so... on a format. you don't own a gramophone. Though.
4: <laughs> 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 they
1: they do talk about John Barleycorn and the yes. Wicker Man as well, Gemma.
4: Yeah. 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 Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'll send I'll send you stuff. Anyway, that's that
2: part, but... song that they do like when they're downstairs in the bar and he's singing that song on his guitar. it's this
4: a different bit? Oh, um, no! Name?
1: All those songs, especially um, you know, written mm-hmm. for the film, but they do talk about John Barleycorn at a different point because the the guy who wrote the music for the Wicker Man, you know, went away and researched actual folk music and yeah, then wrote, a, wrote his own version
8: of it.
5: My favorite know, bit in the Wicker
8: or. Man is the. Is the, I mean, it is the Wicker Man, isn't it? When it's got the on that on that tree, there was yeah a spe- yeah because yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's an old I think that's an old Irish song. Yeah, I remember, I remember Irish friends playing that. Um, but yeah, yeah, that that just that amazing driving. Focus. Well,
1: now, yeah, yeah. Now that you've said that, actually, I think the way that Paul Giovanni, who did the music for the Wicker Man, explained it was that he took actual old folk songs but made mm. them filthier. <laughs>
7: yeah. <laughs> Yeah, Agans. Yeah, yeah,
8: that one. <laughs> that um, that one, that Willow Willow's song is disgusting. Yeah.
2: <laughs> it's have uh... <laughs> so I got it on my iPod, mate. I'm listening. To I them. do. I do. Come,
8: I, I have. If I'm if I'm writing something scary and a bit folky, like I'm I'm doing a doing the Ramsey Campbell thing at the moment, I have everything in one folder, and so Willow's song comes up, and it's like milky, milking milking it a maid milking a man and i'm like yeah Uh, honestly oh dear also
1: the the Maypole song is the song which more or less broke my religious faith (laughs) because i remember listening to it when i was about 17 and going this actually makes probably more sense than the stuff they say at church
5: um
8: but anyway, let's not get into my fractured psyche. That's why, that's why horror is an evil genre.
2: <laughs> I think there's something about folk, folk horror, especially. I mean, I did that. Oh god, I'm on Twitter too much, aren't I? Um, I did that post because I I feel so jealous. I I like I've, when I hear like Celtic, um, like their creatures, their myths, their legends. Like you know, um, and I don't feel like the at least I know they're there I know they exist I just don't know them and I don't know why I don't know the English folk stories in the same way that you know we know about Irish or or Scottish and um, I especially at the the moment I think what folk horror does um, you know this is not an original thing to say but like you know it's about the identity of the country the Mm lands obviously like such a like a pivotal fractious time right now, what it means to be English, what it means to be British, you know, whatever, and um feels like we're really ripe for that, so I was just sort of looking to do some research into what English folk horror was, yeah. you know. Yeah, you know. yeah, I will yeah. send you some stuff.
8: <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a really rich, uh, my, my wife's an archaeologist, so I've got I've got loads of stuff from, She she's into the Neolithic and the early, so when she starts going on about Standing Stones and and the stuff they think they did, um, how alien they were compared to we're, we're totally Christianized, whether we're Christian or not, um, how alien they were um, in like the stripping, you know, defleshing was a big thing, defleshing the corpse and then put, laying it out, yeah. you know, getting getting uh, just, just amazing stuff that they think from the archaeological dig that they did
5: let's
8: make britain great again guys <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. that's what yeah. i'm talking about right that's that's where it all went. we stop defleshing yeah. out <laughs>
5: and, uh. yeah.
1: i wonder if it just says something about how um kind of overly polite or deferential or something english people are because i think it goes into folk music as well so much of the folk music that you hear is uh, like um, you were hinting at Gemma. it's scottish or irish mm. and Um, I and I have spoken to actual um, folk musicians you can't see my banjo it's over there Um, but I'm not gonna play it because I don't know how to Um, (laughs) uh, uh, (laughs) so you know um, they will know about the English music and become quite fascinated by it but there are very few actual English folk musicians who who are in touch with that um it's it's kind of got to be dug up one of the reasons i love the Imagine village which was which is a band that Kirsty introduced me to years ago is because they deliberately bring together don't they um all the different facets of kind of british culture and and you know yeah. you, you do get the irish and, and scottish and english and you get south asian and and you know a modern kind of view of um yeah. a very um nuanced kind of diverse Britishness comes through in that music, but also steeped in history. And, yeah,
4: although if I can interject that there's you know, there's the kind of I think it's kind of relevant, isn't it, that we I think part of the reason we don't know is because we, you know, there's a kind of colonial power, isn't there? You know, <laughs> that that in many ways the reason why those Celtic traditions um exist so much more strongly is because they have the tradition of standing up against the English and yeah, uh, yeah. kind of a, a culture of, you know, preserving their, you know, their their identity relation to um, to kind of oppression and, you know, um, against the English. So we haven't had the kind of cultural motivating force to do that. Um, And what's interesting about the music as well is, um, I think it's Cecil Sharp who he he's partly responsible for the kind of collection of the folk the english folk music that we have and there's um
8: yeah like the, he went, the, the, the child ones the um yeah oh, where the robin stories yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. From. yeah so he yeah, kind of yeah. went out
4: and he, he collected all the songs um but in doing so um because again the, the songs weren't necessarily with you know written down um they were you know they were played and passed from you know kind of person to person they were kind of modified on the way is at that point that he collected them he made them you know that he kind of fixed them and and imbued them with you know kind of I'm not sure if I'm right saying kind of a Victorian sense of what English folk music is Mm. Um, which you know, again, I think that's where that idea of the imagined village comes from—is that kind of you know. So listen the, to this, imagined yeah. village. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, so the, Gemma,
1: the, it's it's <laughs> such a great thing to discover. Go to YouTube immediately. Yeah,
4: but the, the, the <laughs> oh. um, but the, the the concept of the imagined village, I think, comes from some writing around Cecil Sharp's, and in that it was a kind of critique of the way that he collected those things I'm probably completely wrong on a lot of these things because it's these things I've heard ages ago that he kind of collected this you know and he he didn't collect everything so there was a selection process of a cultivation of a particular mm. version of kind of yeah pastoral Englishness um that he preserved uh-huh. um which is kind of you know not as as authentic as it might appear if that makes any sense yeah,
8: yeah it's, it it's, it's fascinating yeah, yeah. As a nation as well, we are like I'm fascinated by my, my the stuff my wife brings home like the DNA of the DNA of of the British Isles. People who were British pre-Rome pre Celt, the Celts supplanted us, and then the Saxons supplanted the Celts. We don't we didn't mix that much. People who were like old British tend to be Welsh. Um, mm. and and you know so all the invasions and all the mixtures we didn't we didn't mix that much it's still in there a bit but we're like 80 percent identical to germans
5: mm. if
8: you're white in english you're 80 percent identical to white german um because that's who came over and supplanted the celts that were there and so we don't have this great lineage most of us all the way back to, mm. to putting up the stones in Avery. <laughs> <laughs> or Stonehenge or whatever. Those people are dead. Or all their ancestors, all, yeah. the, all the people that are related to them are living in Wales. Mm-hmm. Or parts of Somerset have still got really long DNA lineages. But it's kind of a fascinating thing. You know, we, we have this sense of place and it's so much of it is in your head.
5: Oh, that's that's what's
8: interesting it's like the amount of people that grew up thinking oh I'm probably I was King Arthur in a previous life because you know that doesn't happen so much anymore because people tend to not think King Arthur was real anymore but lots of people used to yeah. <laughs> yeah. and and a few people still do so it's, it's but it's a brilliant I mean it's a brilliant you go down that rabbit hole and uh, I'm sure you'll come up with an amazing yeah. <laughs> amazing yeah. script yeah. yeah and
1: what but, i think is really exciting about folk horror is that it's an emerging genre i mean 10 years ago emerging yeah <laughs> uh well yeah but i mean uh or in a return of the repressed kind of way but you know 11 years ago i had never heard of folk horror uh i don't know how many of you had prior to mark gate using the term in his documentary A history of horror and since oh, yes. and and he was literally using it to refer to only three films hmm. Um, and since that, which was only that was in two thousand and ten, that documentary. How many folk horror films now exist, both British and for, and in other countries?
8: Um, yeah. Much, have you uh, Jenna, Have you seen Midsummer? Yes. Yeah, because yeah. that's that's an insane film, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I don't know if I don't know if that was up your uh, up your street.
2: No, I really, I really didn't. I was about to say enjoy. I don't know if enjoy is the right word. Um, <laughs> endured. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, I, I, it it was. I was like, oh, I'm so glad that someone has done that film. It did feel very like, you know, Wicker Man-esque in its roots and stuff like that. Um, yeah. I mean, the three films that he was referring to, I wonder what they were. I'm assuming it was Wicker Man, Blood and Satan's Claw, and, and
5: so Witchfinder general. general. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: Interesting. Yeah, well, I just feel like this is a moment where, like, mm. what is what is our perception of what is uh, British identity and our relationship to the land is yeah. really, really mm. important moment. So,
4: mm. and then, yeah, yeah that relationship to our sense of self as well, yeah. our sense of heritage. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it's fascinating. Yeah,
8: yeah, and yeah, um, we were we were we were talking with Stephen before, which obviously our listeners will be hearing in a few weeks, but about. You 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 say you're you're mostly working in in film and genre. Oh, uh, sorry, in TV, and and doing horror slash chiller slash ghost in TV. So how how challenging is that? Um, I found that I found that the agents say, "Can you not use the word horror? Can you use the word suspense?" And uh, how is it is it better since you've got you sort of working for Netflix and they've got they've got Haunting of Hill House and that sort of an American horror story is obviously a huge street streaming really well for them so so is it easier for you to to pitch an idea for tv or for film in this genre I think I
3: think, I think we're
2: opening a can of worms there um <laughs> about, about um whether um Britain makes genre or not Um, and I'd say they, they don't, and they think it's, a. I mean, there's so many ways to answer this. The first thing is the positives. Um, it is actually changing for the better. It genuinely is even in like the four years I've really been like, since I got my agent, um, working in TV, like at the beginning there was like, oh yeah, that's great. But like genre, we can't really get it made um so like we like your writing but like can we do this other thing can you pitch for this other thing or whatever um or it's like you know genre that has existing ip um because for some reason our country sees genres risky even though we all know it's extremely commercial and makes a lot of money um so that's a really strange kind of concept to me um but i think um you know there was a lot of there's a lot of chatter about like, oh yeah, don't write like big genre stuff, write like stuff that you think can get made. And I just kind of ignored all of that. Um, Cause I was like, I'm just gonna write what I want to write and then people can see that this is the stuff I can write. So maybe they'll want to hire me to do the stuff I like um, rather than, you know, no offense to people who write soaps, it's not my thing, like rather than like write something that, you know, you go down that road and people think that's all you can do. Um, but more broadly horror in, in this country or genre industry you know what have we really got in tv we've got doctor who we've got Uto- we had utopia mm-hmm. we had you know there's been a couple of like horror like little mini series mm-hmm. things um and obviously now like um bad wolf are doing like a bunch of high budget fantasy stuff with like his dark materials and discovery witches and stuff but other than that, it's like unless I'm being really stupid, I don't know what else we do. Um, and you know, we do crime, we do yeah. dead dead kids, missing kids, and period dramas. You know.
8: Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah no, no, it's it's frustrating. It's really frustrating.
2: <laughs> it is, but I, I I do. I mean, I said I feel like it's changing. It's definitely changed in what, from my experience, what developers and producers are looking for. Like at the kind of mid level. Um, But the people at the top, the execs in British platforms uh, like, you know, like the BBC or, or, or just, or, you know, just generally like really well established production companies who have like, you know, that certain type of exec who's been in the business for donkey's years, they still have those opinions that genre is not something that is bankable or that people want to see. And that's like kind of where the buck stops. Um, but that's where the positive stuff comes in is because we don't have to just get our stuff on those limited amount of channels. Now we have, you know, we have got Netflix and we've got Amazon Prime and we've got, you know, a billion other American SVODs out there. Um, so it's really, it is really quite an exciting time um, to be working in the genre right now, I think. I I hope that we're on the start of a new wave of, like, it, it, voices coming out.
8: It feels like it. And the, the overlap with yeah. sci-fi as well because... Yeah. The traditional dinosaurs that you're describing were all like, "Oh, sci-fi." It's like they've got. It's not just that they don't. They, they don't think people will watch it. It's almost like they think they think people will, but they're snobs. They'll mm. give. Oh, Stephen Polyarkov wants to make something. Let's give him another. Let's give him millions of pounds, but we won't. We won't. But we'll. We won't put a sci-fi on in prime time because yeah. we've got one. <laughs>
5: mm,
8: yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. it's the same it's the same it's the same with it's the same with it's the same with horror and chillers well,
5: sure.
8: people people lap them up and mm. and they don't want it's like they don't want to be seen to be making them
5: <laughs>
2: they do, i think the thing about horror i'll say as a writer that, that there is a specific challenge um it's really difficult seemingly to do a returning series that's in the horror genre because the whole point of the horror genre is that you confront your face the monster and then it's over you know how do you come back to that for a season two unless it's like a new monster and i think there's very few examples mm. where that has worked and like you know that's why horror tv shows tend to be anthologized i think the only one i can think of off the top of my head and if anyone's got a better idea please speak up it's Stranger Things and I think that's because yeah.
8: it's a sci-fi horror, and it's got you know all the eighties. Yeah, really yeah. Well, we, we were we were talking. We've talked about that in previous podcasts. So Stella, mm-hmm. there, there is that thing that a horror should be a self-contained little laser beam of a plot,
5: mm-hmm. and
8: and that's why the, some of the best horror movies are like ninety minutes long, mm-hmm. and and you could kill the hero at the end, and everyone doesn't feel bummed out. <laughs> they go, "Wow, they killed the hero. I love that film." Um, and then yeah there is that problem with 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 long form drama of right. how do you how do you keep how do you keep that level of tension up well, so Stella,
1: Stella loves American Horror Story, don't you? Um, oh, yeah. But, but um, you know, uh, <laughs> Sorry. which, uh, which I, no, no. But, <laughs> but
7: in, I mean, anyway. I've only
1: seen one series of it, and I didn't really enjoy it. But because you watched the bad one, yeah, fair enough. And yeah, uh, <laughs> I, it's I, an I'll, an scary
8: for you, Dan.
1: I'll own that, and I'll own that as well. But the point is, they have they've got a solution to it, which is that they change the story every year. Yeah,
7: yeah. they change the story um, every year. It's an anthology, but they keep the cast. So they keep some, the thing that you want from serialization, they do it by using reusing the cast and having the cast come back. So the viewers of American Horror Story are loyal to the brand mm. rather than to the stories because the stories can be hit and miss. So they do meander and you know things have been introduced and they never get tied off. It's like, who was that character? They vanished. But we're, we, like I speak for everybody who likes American Horror Story or loyal to the brand of American horror story and the style and the way it tells these stories and the actors rather than what the is gonna do because the stories generally make little to no sense. By the time you get to the end, it's how But it, huh? <laughs> right. well, I mean other American stuff, well, American stuff, really not UK stuff, has managed to sort of cross the serialized the serialisation gap and in some ways it's worked very very well so The Walking Dead is still going and, and it's done it by layering it with other genres so the yeah. first series was a zombie film and then the second series was a soap and then the third was a western and then the fourth was a road movie so they, they keep yeah. adding all these things together but then they've come across problems of well if we long-term serialise this stuff audiences get very very attached to certain characters and then when it's horror so bad things happen to them and they die horribly everyone fucking complains and it's like (laughs) what do you want from us then so they they're juggling this thing of if we keep it too close to how it started in the first season everyone's like well it's just the same or if you change it too much then it's too different and oh you've killed glenn and uh, i I, I, I was like oh
2: god glenn (laughs) i know
7: i cried and i cried but it was like you know moving on now
1: but what yeah, I would yeah. say uh, also <laughs> about The Walking Dead is that it is a survival. It's horrible. It's a survival drama, and you can extend a survival drama for as long as you want because it's just yeah. about the characters trying to survive. Oh, and they will. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, they so, will. But, but I'm, I'm not sure if there's another way to, <laughs> to keep it extended. <laughs>
8: yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so Gemma, you. Uh... Uh, uh, do, you th- do you think you've... Have you come up with, uh, with a good return?
2: No. Um, oh, gosh. I mean, should so I laugh still... I do. <laughs> <Please. Yeah. laughs> if you're listening, you're producer. Yes, I have a returning horror show. Um, that, well, um, yeah, I mean, I've got a bunch of things that what I'm working on this year. Um, but I'm really sort of... Um, I should be leaning to horror, but I think I've, I'm looking for a palate cleanser and I want to do a fantasy next. Yeah, all right but maybe one that's a little scary i don't know a little sprinkle of that we'll see yeah, yeah. do that oh that's
8: interesting
1: well, i mean as we have established Gemma i'm a scaredy cat and i like all genres <laughs> because they frighten me fantasy's a bit scary <coughs> science fiction's a bit scary obviously horror is scary basically i don't like anything if it doesn't slightly frighten me so so I, i'd be into the fantasy series um
8: yeah so um what uh what what fantasy do you go for, Gemma? That's <laughs> 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 inappropriate. I mean, in, <laughs> <laughs> That's a bit forward, in.
5: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, as in, as
8: in, as in films. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh
7: gosh. Um,
8: uh, do you know what? My computer just froze then. And I thought it's going to dump out It's going to look like I'm like running off to <laughs> and stuff. No, you still here
7: <laughs> you've got
8: to face it. <laughs> so I meant, I meant what, what sort of a, uh, what sort of fantasy. uh films Cause again,
1: uh, that's a, that's a fairly new genre in a way, isn't it? Um I mean, and there have been fantasy films for a long time, but not very regularly. It was only with like the Lord of the Rings that they became a viable blockbuster thing. Uh, unless uh, that's my interpretation of, of the history of the genre
8: and onto tv especially not that's quite a recent thing as well i guess
2: yeah because we, really do <laughs> we don't really do genre unless you count
8: dr who which is everything all the genres yeah, yeah. all at once
2: yeah I think and, yeah, know, was...
8: game of thrones and
2: mm. i think game of thrones was the game it's the game changer <laughs> <laughs> although <laughs> you know it's a period drama Yeah, yeah yeah Weird John, so political whatever. Um yeah, we don't we don't. Um but I think um you know I, I like folklore, I like mythology, um I like I like a little bit of magic. I'm not so into um like really super high fantasy stuff, mm-hmm. like um, you know, dragons and whatever, like mm-hmm. really high things Um <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. I'll I'll keep it. I'll keep it a secret for now. Um, yeah. yeah, I'm 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 excited about. We will watch and wait <laughs> with
5: yeah, baited no. breath.
8: <laughs> yeah. Oh, that sounds um, good. With the how how much uh, bad wolf have done with uh, dark materials. Oh,
5: so good.
8: It's just. Uh, it is yeah. wonderful. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's perfect for me. I love it. <laughs> dark material. You
7: didn't like it at first. I had to make you watch it. No, then. it
8: took me ages to. I think it's gonna. <laughs> oh, I'd say this to Jack Thorne's face. I think it's gonna dodgy opening two minutes and it put me, <laughs> it put me off. I went, Oh, don't, you know, when it has the, the sting before the the teaser before the credits, Yeah. Usually a teaser from Jack Thorne mate. make you go, Oh my God, I've got to watch that. And he made me go,
5: Hmm.
8: <laughs> and then I was never quite in the mood. And, and it was only because you lot kept saying, you've got to watch it that I, I kept going and then I got completely addicted. That, that's yeah. looking, I absolutely love it. But yeah, you know, yeah, no, we no. and I wasn't quite in the right mood. I, I had I to tried about three times.
1: I had to try three times to watch the first episode, but once I got past that, I loved yeah. it. So yeah,
8: yeah,
1: um, yeah. Gemma, this has been a wonderful chat. I'm conscious that it's getting quite late. Well, That's um, true. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we we should probably <laughs> let you go back to to your life, but um. Thank you so
2: much. this is what i do all day in front
1: this is everybody's life right yeah. now so, yeah and and you're the writer of host so um
2: uh, i get it
8: would you, would you say this is that this is the medium that's probably changed your life i mean yeah like, like
2: who, who would have known <laughs> it's like i always have to pinch myself thinking like oh if you've known like this time last year you would have made a films set on this thing you've never heard of yeah. that you're using every single day for hours. Like, <laughs> it just, oh, I don't know. What, what, what time is we living? Hey, I right. do you
7: know,
2: What was day is crazy. it? <laughs> this is not the post-apocalypse the they promised us. Absolutely no. not. There's no zombies.
5: Shit.
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is not the post-apocalypse. This is the in-apocalypse. It's so much more <laughs> so fun. Mid- um, mid-apocalypse.
7: Yeah.
1: Oh, dear. Yeah. But, um but it yeah. just goes to show that out of the, even the direst situations um. can spring some hope and some joy and that's my thought for the day amen Yes. <laughs> thank <laughs> you so much Gemma this has been absolutely wonderful yeah. And thank um, thanks for indulging
8: thank us you. Um, thank you so you. Much. it's been an absolute delight meeting you and we yes. shall speak again soon
7: I'm sure we will
1: and we wish you luck with whatever's next
6: So there we go. That was Kirsty, Stella, Ian and myself chatting to Gemma Hurley. Huge thanks to Gemma for spending that time with us. If you want to follow her on Twitter, you can find her at GemGemHurley. Now though, it's time for our weekly telephone bulletin from Howard, wherein he and I enter the bag of death.
8: Hello
1: everybody, it's time once again for The Bag of Death with myself, Dan, and Howard. Hello, Howard. Hello. Hello, Dan. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, sir. I'm always full of excitement at this point. So The Bag of Death contains um, pretty much all the English-language horror films that both Howard and I have seen. And not previously discussed on this podcast. So, I'm going to reach into it and draw at random a title. Let's see what it could be. Have a good rummage. A good rummage. Yes. Here we go. Listen, it's a sound effect. And I've, I've got one. Uh, let me draw it closer. And it is Damien, Omen 2. Yes. Right. not drifting far from the 1970s so in fact smack dab in the the end of the 70s 1978 so um gosh um i think this is another movie that i encountered when somebody taped it probably maureen taped it off sky for me back in the late 90s i was desperate to see it because i'd seen the omen so I accepted a, um, a kind of poor quality recording of it off a satellite channel because I wanted to see it quickly. I th- I seem to remember that the version of it that we had had like a big subtitle on it on it from halfway through the film. Half the screen was covered with words. It wouldn't go, you, you know, like a message like you you must renew your satellite subscription or something. But whatever, I, I just watched it anyway. Um, well, add it to the enjoyment, <laughs> possibly. Well um I have to say I didn't think much of it at the time um although it, it has grown in stature with me a bit over the years um how about you Howard well I, in a
0: way I kind in some ways I kind of prefer it to the omen simply because it's a bit more fun yeah and it's kind of lighter the omen is full of all that I mean, much that I love the omen I think it's a great film and I, I do I do like it but it's full of all this kind of portentous off about Revelation and, you know, the end of the world and stuff, and, and it's quite a bit serious, you know, it's very, there's, there's very little humour in the omen, whereas this sequel seems just a bit kind of, not tongue-in-cheek perhaps, but just a bit sort of pacier and a bit, the, the deaths are just so bizarre, like yeah. when Lou Ayers goes under the ice, I mean that's a brilliant scene, where Lou Ayers crosses the ice and they're following him as he's being dragged along the current and everything, and the guy in the lift being cut in half by the rope and everything, it's just, it just seems a little bit less... Solemn somehow, and a little bit kind of more fun in a way.
1: Um, I think um, that the point at which I started to reevaluate it was when I read Kim Newman's piece in probably in Nightmare movies, where he said that the second film is the best of the Omen trilogy. He wasn't really sold on the first one, whereas I was when I saw that movie on TV on Channel 4, I think, in the late 90s, I was blown away by the amazing musical score and the doomy atmosphere, and I just wanted something else just like that. And The Omen 2 isn't just like that. It, it's um, uh, it, it's a bit dafter, in a way. You know,
0: it's a bit wackier. Yeah. So just a bit less, I don't know, a bit less pretentious. Well, not pretentious, but, you know, just uh, it's lightened up a bit.
1: Yeah, um, and I think Newman saw that it, it kind of got a, more of an edge of satire to it because in the Omen, it's all about you know the the um, the U.S. ambassador to the Court of St. James um, is is basically persuaded to do a deal where he adopts a child who is actually the son of Satan. Um, whereas in in the second film, it's a few years later. And that son has now been readopted by the brother of the ambassador from the original film. So in the first film, it was Gregory Peck playing that paternal role. Now it's William Holden. Um, William Holden is
0: very good, by the way. One thing is I did when you. I first saw it, I, I was really impressed by William Holden because he's playing it absolutely straight he's not sending it up or he's not phoning it in or anything he's really going for it William Holden's a really good actor yeah he's uh, great I saw him, actually um, to digress a bit I saw for the first time a few days ago a film called Sabrina with Humphrey Bogart Audrey Hepburn and William Holden oh yeah yeah and William, William Holden's got the least showy role he's sort of playing this kind of buffoonish sort of sort of rich bloke in Long Island but he does it really well he gives it a lot more to it than perhaps is there so I thought William Holden's a really good actor yeah, uh, he, he really kind of plays the part in *Omen* too. He plays it really straight. And he, and I he's think really he's. Kind of
1: I think I prefer his performance to Gregory Peck's.
0: I think I do as well, actually. I just think it's slightly more. Gregory Peck is just being very sort of serious and very sort of, and William Holden's been a bit livelier. Of course, *The Omen* does have Lee Remick, so yes. I will always like.
1: Lee so Remick not, being one of your favourite actresses, I remember. My
0: favourite actresses, although Lee Grant is very good. She's a, a brilliant Colombo murderer, one of the best Colombo murderers. And she's a <laughs> really yeah. good actress. Uh, and there's some actors like a guy called Nicholas Pryor, who's a really good actor, and he's one that gets crushed between the two trains, which I thought was a, one of my favourite deaths of all time. And, uh, oh, yeah. Um, yeah, the bloke in the... And, and, um, it, I mean, what the Omen films are is just a series of really bizarre deaths. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and just joined by all this stuff about, you know, the
5: Satan taking over the world and whatever. And you just watch it kind of for the day. De- and the deaths are so much more kind of
0: macabre and sort of ingenious and, and bizarre in this film than they are in sort of the first Omen film. So sort of. it's just, so I know I, I, in, in kind of ways, I just, if I had to choose, if I just come in from work or something, I wanted to relax. Uh, I'd be more likely to put on Omen 2 than Omen, yeah. because it's something we just kind of feel comfortable with, and you can just have a good time with it, because it is just
1: <laughs> Yeah, and it, <laughs> it, it has a kind of strange transatlantic feeling because the first one feels like a British horror film, the yeah, second one is, it has a mixture, I mean it has some British actors in it, uh, like Elizabeth Shepherd, who is the original um, Emma Peel in the Avengers before they recast her and replaced her with Diana Rigg and That's reshot funny. that. So
5: and uh, Ian
1: Hendry Well, yeah. I mean, do you know the behind-the-scenes story of of why Henry is in it and and what happened with the opening of the film?
0: Well, all I know is that Ian Hendry was, um, he was one of my favourite actors, by the way. I have to say, I think he's terrific in everything. He's great. He? he was. Yeah. Um, but I, I know at that time he was a really heavy drinker, and I just assumed the director was a friend of his and wrote him this part just to give him some work.
1: Um, well, I mean, that's true, but the thing is, it was there was a change of director mid-production. Uh, so the opening sequences in, um, is it Israel? Jerusalem. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, they were shot uh, by a different unit to the rest of the film, and the DP was Gil Taylor, who'd shot The Omen, but the director, who'd been kind of brought on to take over from Richard Donner and kind of... Um, Marshall the franchise, if you like. From that point, was Mike Hodges the British director of Get Carter and later Flash Gordon and things? Um, so he knew Henry, and he brought Henry on for that. Um, and also Leo McKern appears in those sequences, reprising the role that he played in The Omen. And in neither film is he credited, which is interesting. Um, and but but anyway, um, I can't. I don't know exactly why, but. Um, Mike Hodges, even though he'd kind of co-written the script, fell out with the producers. So by the time um, it, production moved back to America, uh, for the rest of the film, uh, Hodges had been fired and was replaced with Don Taylor, the director of Escape from the Planet of the Apes, and um, a number of kind of workmen-like Hollywood well, productions. That,
0: in a way, it kind of works, that it is a journeyman director. Somebody who's not taking it too seriously, who's just doing it just as a kind of job. Because yeah. then you get a, this kind of pretentious feel to it. It's just, oh, well, let's, you know, let's film this thing as a kind of horror movie and, and, and have all this action and stuff. And it, 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 I think that works better, in a way, by having a less talented director, just somebody who kind of directs it as a...
1: And the, there's more kind of a genre um, fun... Uh, grab bag of talent involved as a result. You know, you've got Lance Henriksen in it in a really early role. Yeah. Um, for instance, you've also got Sylvia Sidney, who um, much later, I think I discovered her because she plays the little old lady in Tim Burton's Mars Attacks, whose yeah, slim Whitman records is used to destroy the aliens' brains. Yeah, um, so she's
0: very, very old. Yeah, yeah. And <laughs> uh it was in... in-
5: 30s films
1: she was going since the 1930s so she was yeah and like robert foxworth who was um he's like the villain in airport 77 and and later turned up on tv a lot he's a very kind of specific to that period kind of bad guy actor and he is playing a sinister part in, in this movie and and also i think you can sense the shift in tone kind of almost immediately because of jerry goldsmith's score which is very brooding and deliberate and straight-faced in in the omen and i love it it's so straight-faced it kind of makes you laugh it's got that mad organ riff running through it and i kind of imagine goldsmith himself playing it and it just with his ponytail and a kind of sense of glee at at making people sing these satanic lyrics Um, Uh, But in the the Omen two, he's kind of he 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 does the same sort of thing, but he underlines it with a kind of farty electronic bass line all the time. It's kind of
0: like a lively version of the of the Omen theme. Yeah. I mean, I really like. I love. I love his music. I love Jerry Goldsby's music.
1: I totally do. Yeah,
0: yeah.
1: I. I think we've 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 kind of covered most of what's interesting about the movie. Um, well, no, there's there's more to it than that, but you know we've we haven't got so much time. But I do just want to say I've always found it funny that, um, well, the Omen as a f- series as a franchise kind of abandons any attempt at realism after the yeah. first film, uh, and it has to this in a way this kind of explains the shift into a more fun, kind of campy tone in the sequel. Because the fact is that Damien Thorne, the Antichrist, is born on the 6th of June, 1976. You see what they did there, folks? But he dies in 1981. And in 1981, he's 30 years old. And, and they never attempt to make that make sense. He just ages super fast, but everything else in, in the movie Uh, just, it's clearly the same contemporary world. I mean, it just makes me laugh to think that now Harvey Stevens, who played Damien in The Omen, is probably not that much older than me. He's maybe 50.
0: Yeah.
1: And I've always wondered what's happened to him. Yeah,
0: he's probably still killing people somewhere.
1: (laughs) I mean, they did recently do a TV series which I have to say I haven't seen, called Damien. you know, I find
0: out about that today, I was looking through the TV magazine, yeah. and it said Damien. Uh, and this is a TV version, um, featuring the character from The Omen, uh, who's got like a proper job or something. He's, he's yeah, and yeah, he know, he's the Antichrist. And, and ah, I thought well, this sounds I And mean, Barbara Hershey's in it, apparently,
1: right? I mean, I don't know anything about it except that it's not no, supposed to be very some, good.
0: I, I didn't know it was happening until I saw it today,
1: but he does do something which I thought was always an option, which is that somebody could just retcon. The Omen franchise, as has been done with Halloween and Terminator and and Candyman and and basically all franchises now, where you just ignore the sequels and you go back to the original. Because if you just say that he was born in 1976 and he's still alive, he's only in his 40s. What's he doing now? That's interesting. That
0: is interesting, Uh, yes, if, if you get somebody to do it right,
1: yeah. And apparently in that series they do take footage from the original film. They don't say it was in 1976. They, I think they try and fudge that it was in the mid-80s or 1990 or something. But basically, they do flashback to the original movie and then say, and this is what he's doing now. And exactly what he is doing, I don't know, but I assume he's working in politics. Um, but
0: he wasn't. He was like working in, in a, in a chemist shop. I don't know. I do not know what said. He's a proper job or something. It could I be just a great basis yeah. for a sitcom when
1: you think about it.
0: <laughs> I think it was like working in Pamland. no but it was something like kind of a weird thing I'll have to have a look at it again because I'd never I, I, I had no idea they were making a film about Damien but I didn't know they were making a film about Scream they were making a TV series about Scream until my nephew told me so right. how they, how they do that but then
1: oh yeah it's all on Netflix all two series of it I think Stella's a fan of the series but you know it it's kind of typical of the moment that we're in that the um yeah. the TV series has been abandoned now and they're making another sequel to the original films
0: yes I, I do think maybe there comes a time when you have to sort of give these things up and I know you know we all love them and everything but how much further can you go with them?
1: Well, um, look, I mean, um, I think you and I and Stella have lots to say about Scream, so we'll, we'll. I hope we'll come to that at some point.
0: Um, well, as for the Omen 2, yes, very entertaining. Perhaps it's not as as well made a film as the Omen. Perhaps it's not you know as, as uh, you know a great It's not a slick. It's think, not uh, a slick, you know? and it's not.
1: It's not got. Uh, well, I remember reading a review at the time, which I just took as kind of fact because i was 16 or 14 or whatever which just said it's not as well plotted the script and i can i can see that because the omen is very linear um in terms of you know the gradual um reveal of the mystery of who and what damien is and the guilt um uh, and the sequel doesn't really have that and also it doesn't have the um the plot detail that the original has, which it doesn't do much with, but it is there, which is that the, that Damien's father has been deceptive to his own wife about the nature of the child. Um, and, and so all that's gone. It's, and it's just, who's this kid? And he's like 13. Now he's a surly teenager played by an actor called Jonathan Scott Taylor. And it's all about how he is, is going to military Academy. Um, and in, and in the academy, he's uh, kind of befriended by a sinister instructor played by Lance Henriksen. But that stuff is is kind of interesting in itself because The best
0: thing that doesn't know that he's the Antichrist, and suddenly these people are telling him who he is. Yes, yeah, yeah. And that's interesting. I mean, yeah, I mean, no, it's not as kind of as important a film as The Old Man. It doesn't have the stature of it. Doesn't have the yeah, and it's not it doesn't have the sense of mystery what's going on. It's more just it's more just a kind of romp. Yeah, but I, I kind of like that because you you know you know that none of the good guys have got a chance against Dave. You know they're all going to die at the end. You know he's going to win and everything. And you just kind of go go along with it. And the deaths are so wonderfully kind of mad and and everything. And and the the poor guy being cut in half in the lift. I just, you know. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And um, I I think my final point that I'd like to say about it is the ending, appropriately enough, without spoiling it, the ending is great. It's, It's basically a similar ending to The Omen, but better. Um that's all I want to say about it and I, and I I've the the kind of the the sequence the last kind of 5 minutes of the film I've watched again and again just on their own because the way that Goldsmith's music builds up and the way it cuts between different scenes and and twists happen it's really well assembled it's a great little piece of filmmaking so um yeah it does it does have a lot going for it um,
0: well, no, 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 no. I enjoy it you'll enjoy it if you watch it you'll enjoy it if you take it what it is it's fine it's great and and I feel like watching it now, I haven't got it so I haven't got a DVD or anything so I'll have to go. Right, I,
1: haven't I haven't got, got it these DVD. days either yeah, it's good No, nice one well that's We're another good. bag of <laughs> death <laughs> alright yeah okay yeah thank you very thank
6: much you. Howard yeah, thank you till next very time
0: enjoyed it. Yeah. good to talk about it cheers
6: so there goes Howard And here goes and now the podcast starts for another week. Hope you've enjoyed it this week. Usually at the end of the episode we get together and discuss our current recommendations. It's just me um, and I did wonder what to mention. There's not a lot great coming up on terrestrial television in the UK. But I did think of the movie Heathers, which you can currently see on Shudder if you're a subscriber. Heathers is, if you don't know a rather sharp and effective and cruel, very, very black comedy, very dark comedy from 1989 starring Winona Ryder and Christian Slater. And it's directed by Michael Lehman, a person whose talents I've been thinking of very recently because of another project of his that I've been looking at. But I I don't want to say any more about that. Because it will give away something that we're going to do on the show quite soon. But it's well worth checking Heather's out. I haven't seen it for two decades. But I remember it being very witty. And I'm in the mood now to go back and revisit it. Because of rediscovering Michael Lehman. A director who I think kind of defines the idea of being horror adjacent. Not much of what he's done is actually truly within the genre. But a lot of it kind of flirts around the dark edges of things. And usually in a way that's very funny as well. So anyway, that's on sugar at the moment. So I recommend you check it out. We'll be back next week. I'm not going to give you any clues about what we're going to be talking about. It's almost as if I don't know from week to week what we're going to be talking about at the moment. So I'll see you. On the other side of the week. Have a good one. Bye!
3: You have been listening to And Now the Podcast Starts. Produced and released by Ambidextrous Solutions Limited. Presented by Kirsty Warrow, Ian Winterton, Stella Gaynor, T.D. Velasquez, and Howard Whittaker. With special guest, Gemma Hurley. Special thanks to Greg Hume for our original theme music, and to Brian Gorman for our original artwork. All dialogue and music clips from films, TV shows, and trailers are used for the purposes of criticism, in the spirit of fair dealing as defined in UK law, and fair use as defined in US law. No copyright infringement is intended. Please visit our home on the web, www.andnowpodcast.com for more content and contact details. Or visit our Facebook pages at And Now Pod or at Lee Cushing Pod. Follow us on Twitter at And now podcast or at Lee Cushing podcast. If you'd like to donate to us, please visit patreon.com forward slash And now And now the podcast stops.